All right, welcome to the Brain Food Podcast. Today, it's... We, we just had a little chat before we started recording today about kind of how today's episode is. It's definitely got its depressing elements. In fact, it's... I'd say it's largely depressing, but there's like bits of uplifting happiness or like less misery, perhaps would be a better way of describing it throughout this episode. What do you think? It's And it's a bit dark it's, in it's places definitely dark. as well. But this guy is amazing. The main subject of the of the thing, he's a, uh, I don't know, this is sort of going to be like a darker version of the Teddy Roosevelt, like yeah. awesome guy episode. Like this guy's an amazing person and uh, worth talking about. I think one of my favorite topics we've um, covered on Today I Found Out. And so wanted to cover him here because he's fascinating. Absolute balls of steel. Yeah. Like the Roosevelt going down the uh, the, the Potomac. What was the river he went down? Was it the Potomac? Am I getting that right? That would be awesome. Uh, no, that's the one he swam, I believe, in, uh, uh, in the wintertime. Of course I would screw it up. But... Yeah, and this guy goes on his own adventure, just a, a slightly more darker one, because today we're talking about the man who literally volunteered to be a prisoner at Auschwitz, the famous concentration camp. So it, it's going to get dark, but I think it's a good one. Should we, uh, well, like we were, we were just in, in the US for VidCon, which is uh, a very large annual um, VidCon, uh, YouTube, sorry, conference. And so I was, list we were listening to a couple of episodes and like critiquing ourselves on, on the drive down. We drove from Seattle to, to, to Los Angeles. And so we were talking about how we're going to cross that hundred reviews mark. And then I realized we, we crossed that a while ago. It's just, we, you know, recorded them all two weeks before that. So today is kind of the first day, although we're at some hundred and something reviews now, what is it at? Like 120 something? 138, I believe was, was what it rings in today. So we are well past our hundred reviews mark. But what we did is we have an announcement. We have our winners of the first hundred reviews. So basically everyone before a hundred. And then we, uh, what do we do? We got a random number generator. I didn't do this. David did this. And I've got my notes in front yeah. of me. Tell me about this. Yeah, well, just, yeah, I put them in an Excel spreadsheet, used random number generator to pick out the winners for first and then first prize and the two runners up. Cool. So do you want to announce the winners? Drum roll, please. First prize goes to Dark Magician. Dark, Dark Magicon. Magician. Spelled weird. Ah, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, okay. <laughs> Definitely Dark Magician with an O2904 who gave a review. And we'll read your review if we, just in case we didn't do it previously. This is my new favorite podcast next to Story Break. I like to drive it. Oh, we did do this one because I was like, what's Story Break? And I promised to go and listen to Story Break and then I didn't. <laughs> I know. I, I thought I recognized this one as well when I saw. Yeah. Uh, I like to drive around and listen to podcasts while I work. Pizza delivery. I have Simon's voice on my GPS so I can listen to him. Patreon perk, by the way, uh, on this podcast and I can listen to him on my GPS too. Each episode is like two friends talking about something they just learned about and I like it a lot. So thank you, Dark Magician. You are our $100 or whatever your local currency is. Amazon gift card voucher. Please email us podcast at todayifoundout.com and we will follow up with you and we will verify that it is you, Dark Magician. So don't get any ideas, people who are going to start the Gmail address, Dark Magician, and email us because we will check. Now, runners up, Cole Riggs, who these guys get $25 gift cards each. Congratulations, Cole Riggs, who said, so glad y'all decided to start uh, to do this. I've been such a fan of all your YouTube channels. So more content from you guys is always welcome. Thanks so much and keep up the awesome, amazing work. And our second runner up, Andrew James Drake, four star review. See, we're not just picking the five stars, random number, although we are majority five stars. So a random number generator, yeah. uh, four stars is good. I'll, I'll take it. 
Uh, Simon and David routinely deliver interesting information that you don't even know that you want to know about. That was a mouthful, but are happy that you learn about it. Jeez. <laughs> Beware of Simon Whistler's whistle in episode one. Yeah, we uh, we this cut is, the whistle. This out. is where the star came off, I suspect. Yeah, they didn't. There was a, we definitely divided our crowd on the uh, before. You know, now we've got the little guitar strum as a transition. Before we thought it would be hilarious to have a whistle. Some people loved it. Some people uh, have more sensitive ears and. Uh, we're less of a fan but we listen to feedback and we cut it out so uh now we have mm-hmm. what people have described i think your friend brad described it as a as a classy <laughs> it's not brad is it no. why do i always call him brad it's not even close to brad <laughs> you do always call him brad it's not even anything noah i'm so sorry noah i'm so sorry i don't know why i want to call- have we discussed this on the podcast before every I don't know Noah. I've never met Noah. I have had no communications with Noah. And for some reason in my mind, I have it locked in on the fact that his name is Brad. Um, Apologize, Noah. (laughs) Thank you for all your useful feedback in private about the podcast, Noah. And I promise I'll try and get your name right in the future. (laughs) We should probably also mention that we've decided also, because we're now doing some merchandise, uh, that we will now, along with the the promised prize, we're also going to send off uh, t-shirt. Uh, today I found out t-shirt to each of the prize winners in addition to their other prizes. So please, when you send us that email, do send us your address and so we can send you that t-shirt as well. And we're and running... shirt size. And shirt size, yes, that's important. Or you'll get XXL, uh, just as the default, <laughs> because that fits small people as well. You can get it tailored down. There you go. <laughs> we're doing a new contest, right? We're keeping this going in some form or another. Are we expanding to different review sites? I think that was the plan, right? We are. And also Google Podcasts is just a new thing that uh, Google has come out with. So perhaps I haven't actually tried it yet, uh, but maybe it's an actual good Android uh, version of iTunes, perhaps. And this is this is great news for podcasts in general, because I haven't actually confirmed this because I switched back from Android to iPhone because apparently I, I can't decide. Is that now a default app when you get Android? Because I feel that's one of the reasons why iPhones dominate because they have that podcast app built in when you get the phone. I believe it will be. It's not, I don't think in the current versions, at least I had to I had actually manually download it. So, uh, but you know, new phones, I presume it will be uh, default built in. So, so Google podcasts. Also, we want to um, extend it to people on Spotify, Stitcher and CastBox. So any of those plus uh, any, any new iTunes will uh, be included in the next contest. I am going to, I'm going to add on to their podcast addict. Because that was the oh, app okay. I was I've never using. Heard of that, one. that was the app I was using when I was on Android, and it was the only one I found halfway, you know, good. I wasn't a big fan of Stitcher. Okay. I, I installed Castbox, but I think by then I had Podcast Addict, and I was relatively satisfied with Podcast Addict. Didn't get on with Stitcher. Mm-hmm. Google Podcasts didn't exist, and uh, Spotify doesn't have all the podcasts that I want to listen to because they're quite selective. And did we also want to include all the existing iTunes reviews as well on this new contest, just to sort of they can double up on their... Right. Their now, thing? my clever thought about this to incentivize it, and this is kind of a bit of, as maybe Americans would say, inside baseball. Uh, is that a phrase, by the way? I've heard that used a few times where it means like... Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yes, I'm using my American phraseology. A bit of inside baseball here. What we were thinking would be a clever idea is to have, I think we'll just do it based on iTunes reviews. So we'll go through, because otherwise we can't keep track. You know, I'm not going to go and add up all of those reviews every time. So once we hit 100 reviews on iTunes, we'll just group all of these together and we'll do the random number generator thing for Spotify, Google Podcast, and all of the others all in one. 
And then once we hit that 200 mark, we'll basically do the same thing as we did with 100, except instead of a $100 gift card, we do a $200 gift card because the chances of winning are technically lower. And then we incentivize people the same as if we had a $100 prize on the 100 reviews. But obviously then we're giving away way more money on a podcast that makes us zero money at all. <laughs> Loses us quite a bit of money. Hosting yes. podcasts, just FYI, is very expensive. Once you get good numbers, it gets super... Like, everyone's like, it's $10 a month. And it's like, not when you have thousands upon thousands of downloads. It is not. <laughs> no, they quickly email you and are like, yeah, that $10 month plan doesn't work anymore. And now you're getting... And every month it just goes up and up and up. Do you remember on our last podcast where they just sent us that email one month? And it's like, yeah, boys, now it's $500 a month. It's like, yeah, just like that. It's like, okay. Yeah. Um, is that negotiable? Like, no, no. It's yeah, not. we try, we actually tried to negotiate and be oh, like, yeah. well, your competitor is telling us this, and they were like, then go with the competitor. Mm -hmm. And we're like, all right, then. Yeah, you you win this round. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, not for so long because we ended up having to stop the podcast because it was costing so much money. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. Good. Okay. So go leave us a review, and this time we have an even bigger contest. Plus, free T-shirts. Wee. Uh, yeah, so should we do 200 and then 25 and 25 again? Sure, and free t-shirts. And free t-shirts. Don't forget those free t-shirts. Oh, and on that note, yes. go check out our merch store. We have a merch store now on Teespring. Yep. And uh, you can probably find it the best way. I should put a link to it on Today I Found Out. That's something I should have done on day one. Uh, so I'll do that. So just go to Today I Found Out and you'll find a link to it. T-shirts, hoodies. What else is on there? There's a bunch of stuff. Mugs. Mugs. And we got different designs too, not just Today I Found Out logo stuff. We got like the, uh, according to chemistry, alcohol is a solution one. We got the uh, I Heart Nerds, which I really like that design a lot. Brain um, hot, right? Yeah. Noreen from Picture the Recipe actually made that one, huh. uh, if memory serves. Uh, yeah, I really like that one. And then I wear um, that often. You sent me a bunch of these a couple of years ago and I wear them around my house. Yeah. yeah I don't know. There was a couple others I can't remember now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, trust me, I'm a scientist. Oh, yes. Yes, that that's one. And then... Ta standard logo stuff as well, right? And then, oh, the Prepare to be Blinded by Awesome one, which yes. was actually back in college when I ran a t-shirt shop online. Uh, that was the number one selling design uh, back then. Wow. People really liked that one. There you yeah. go. This is uh, like in the early 2000s too, so... I gotta ship me out some of those mugs, man, because I feel like I'm I'm I've, I'm moving to this new office and I'm setting up sets and stuff, and it's all very exciting. Oh, yeah. I feel like I need a mug with that "Today I Found Out" logo on, so I can like sip it, like That's... being like, "Welcome to Today I Found Out." <laughs> Just yeah, see, I was gonna go with the Picard mug, but that's a way better idea for like the quick fact segment. Dude, um, we should get that... gloss engraved Picard mugs. With, oh, with a, I'm with sure. Yeah, this is probably something Teespring does not do, but we could get the logo engraved on these glass. But yeah, for people who don't know what we're talking about, this is a bit of a inside joke. David and I are always drinking out of the glass plastic mugs that Picard drinks his Earl Grey out of in uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. So um, yeah, yeah, I bought a lot of them on eBay, like a lifetime supply, just because they they stopped making them in the 1980s. You can still find them on eBay. There you go. I'm drinking water out of one right now, as a matter of fact. I just drank some Earl Grey out of one. Oh, well, you're upping me on that one. There you go. So, yeah, let's let's move on into something interesting for today, shall we? Just a uh, reminder, leave us a review. Let us know what you're doing. And when you are doing that, please do give us like helpful feedback, like losing the whistle was a helpful thing. So... Yeah, feedback like that. Let us know how we're doing, what you'd like to see, what you don't like to see, because we actually are listening to it. And one of the things I like about the reviews is people saying, hey, these guys actually listen to the reviews and they take action on them. And we do. So that's good. I've got a couple of follow ups from the previous episode because I made a mistake, which is heard of. 
Definitely not unheard of. Discussion about James Watt. So last time we were talking about engines and horsepower and units and all of this stuff. And we were talking about James Watt, this uh, this Scottish scientist and inventor. And I had a bit of confusion over the name because I was saying, James Watt isn't the guy who invented the Watt. or uh, It's not named after him. It's actually named after some other dude. And I remember learning about this back in the day, like at school or something. Turns out I was wrong about that. But what is interesting is that he didn't discover the Watt. It wasn't James Watt. It was named after him. He discovered a completely different unit of measurement, horsepower, and then had a different unit of measure named after him, which was perhaps where I was getting confused. So James Watt invented the unit horsepower and then had another unit named after him. That was my confusion. We had a, a long discussion about how you're like, no, it's definitely this James Watt. And I was like, ah, I'm, I'm not sure. But that's where my confusion was. Awesome. So that's uh, that's that follow up. And then we were also talking about James Mudgett, the guy who invented, who was adding lead to engines to stop the engine knocking, which was a huge problem in early <laughs> yeah. engines. And, we were, and basically this was a huge problem because lots of lead was released into the atmosphere. It made people like noticeably more stupid over a period of time because it was basically poisoning everybody. And then we were both sure that this guy went on to develop something else, which was like revolutionary, but also bad. And I was like, I'm going to look that up. And I wanted to follow up because it does not disappoint. He later on went to invent, on to invent CFCs. Those uh, pressurization <laughs> things that ended up putting a hole in the ozone layer. So there we go. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> Mr. Mudgett. The poor guy, you know, he's just trying to do good science to help, you know, help humanity, you know, all this, make cars work better. And, you know, and then this, this is what he gets. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was James Mudgett and his, uh, his, his inventions. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah, so uh, let's get started with the main content today. Volunteering at Auschwitz, it seems like a pretty curious idea. So we're going to go, we're going to go back to the sort of, I don't know, the beginning when Germany, they invade Poland in, on September 1st, 1939. And uh, the Polish army didn't really stand a chance. They ended up getting quickly invaded. And uh, a member of the Polish army was 38-year-old Captain Witold Pileski who I'm probably going to pronounce wrong his name a lot in this one because I want to say Pilecki. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's Pilecki. A Pilecki. Pilecki. Oh. Vitold Pilecki. But don't worry about it too much. It's uh... Pilecki. All right. So he had actually fought in World War One and uh, also during the Polish-Soviet War. So he was kind of a veteran at this point. Yeah. Uh, and about 38 years old, as I was saying. And so... Um, and this, this was not a good time for Poland because not long after this happened... Uh, German invades a couple weeks later, just a couple weeks, the Soviets do the same thing on the other side of the country. And they invade, capturing, I believe, over it was over, something over 100,000 or something Polish people, of, of which uh, specifically, I believe... It was about 20,000, I think, if I remember. I think that was supposed to be 20,000 officers. Anyways, so including capturing uh, many thousands of Polish uh soldiers and officers and stuff, and detaining them in Soviet prison camps at the same time. And this kind of a little, we're going to start off with a little aside here. So Stalin, at this point, decides we're, they're just going to execute all the Polish officers, just mm -hmm. dump them in mass graves. This is something he decides to do. And most notably here, just I thought it was, uh, I don't know, darkly interesting to bring up, is who the Guinness Book of World Records calls the most prolific executioner of all time, a guy by the name of Vasily Blokin who uh, personally executed over 7,000 Polish soldiers one at a time over a 28-day period, This, which is just insane. I'm vaguely familiar with this story, and it's just, like, wild. 
just so many people even like the just the mechanics of how mm, how would exactly. how, how do you kill that many people in that short a time one person doing it and uh, it was it was uh, i don't know how much detail we want to go into but i mean in the i'll just sum it up to say it was a bullet to the back of the head after a little signing of some paperwork to verify identity and they had a quite a good system at cleaning the area and then bringing the next person in and he just he just would shoot them and he even like picked his revolver based on one that would have the least recoil so it's hurting his wrist less over yeah. time and he was doing something like i don't i think it was uh, one every three minutes uh, for 28 straight days other than when he slept and ate uh, and all that sort of business so yeah this guy this is what he did and this for for his work here he got order uh got the order of the red banner uh which was for people who um displayed exceptional courage, self-denial, and valor during combat normally was that award. But uh, anyways, this guy, he ended up he ended up going on to to execute thousands more as well. And this was just this this particular 28 day period was just his little um, his record, his record there. And then so, yeah, uh, uh, on the plus side, I guess uh, he later would commit suicide after um you know, drinking. He was kind of an alcoholic later in life, as you as you would be, I imagine, if that was yeah. your job. And yeah, and he got stripped of all his medals and all that when Stalin when Stalin went away. And so yeah, because they had that whole process of de-Stalinization and stuff. Yeah, I I get the feeling though, if you're a guy whose job it is to execute seven thousand people and you end up doing it by hand. I'm like, it's more than just your job description there. Something's up with you because I think there's a point. If someone said, you're going to execute 7,000 people um, by putting a bullet in their head, I'd probably put a bullet in my own head. I, I wonder, would he have had the choice? Like, would if he said, no, I'm not going to do it, what would happen to him? Well, that you know, personally, him. like, oh, yeah, it's interesting. I don't think I could kill 7,000 people. Or maybe no, I'm just being naive. No, that, it, it seems it's a crazy, uh, weird situation if... I don't know. Yeah, this this guy yeah. crazy. But anyways, I was reading it and I was kind of like, when he becomes an alcoholic and kills himself, I'm like, good. Yeah, cool. I'm, like, I'm completely <laughs> yeah, that, all right that's... with that. Like, I rarely think that, but I'm like, all right. <laughs> it's unfortunate. It would be interesting just to sort of read his perspective on it. Like, was he this sort of like, I don't know, I mean, we might consider evil person for lack of a better word, or was, or was like, was something, I don't know, was he forced? What, 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 what? interesting to hear his thoughts on it, you know, like, just to read, yeah. but uh, obviously that uh, this this um, oh, I should mention that uh, coming back to Poland and all that uh, when soon enough uh, Stalin ended up you know allying with with Poland when when the Germans attacked Russia and so at this point uh, the Polish were like where's all our POWs like you you're releasing many thousands of them but where's the rest and and Stalin was like I, I don't know I don't know what happened to him uh, and, uh, so this was his kind of the public stance of the Soviet Union at the time and um yeah it, eventually it, it all came out when uh, it was in the 1990s I think uh, oh, when it wow. actually came out of what actually happened to all of them and where um you know they did discover during the during the war the mass graves and stuff but stalin was just like i don't know how that happened i think it was the germans must have just come in and executed them or you know like attacked the camps and stuff uh and this this was the official stance um of stalin at the time but later it was uh, in the 1990s where it was revealed that nope they it was total just like ordered the deaths of them all wow which was just crazy I feel like as Stalin, you're not going to get away with that for very long. It'd be like, well, we found these like Soviet bullets in there. It's probably not the Germans. <laughs> but of course, I mean, what, what's Poland going to do at that point? I mean, Germany's still invaded. 
you know, what, what are they going to be like? All right, well, now we're going to go to right. war with you at the same time. They didn't have, you know, and and so it, so at this point, of course, when they when Stalin and, and the Soviet Union uh, ally with uh, Poland, they release a lot of these the many thousands of soldiers. And this Polish army kind of external Polish army then starts uh, gathering and mustering to to then march and uh, try to protect their homeland, which we'll get into a little bit in the bonus mm-hmm. fact later when we talk about something slightly more lighthearted. Yay. It involves a bear. You can't go wrong. Um so, uh, so yeah, coming back to the top, this was just not a good time for Poland at the time. So Germany's invaded. A couple of weeks later, the Soviet Union invades. And uh, this, in the middle of all this, is Captain Witold Polecki. Witold Polecki, yes. Doing well, man. Yeah, nice. And so he and a major, I'm going to let you take this one. Major Ulodar Iwitz. Can we just call him Darky, Darkle, or Wits? I don't know. Or Blow. So these two, Poleski and he, uh, end up forming, which I'm just going to call it TAP, and it's, it translates to the Polish Secret Army. And they've, they form this. It's an underground organization in this sort of environment that they're, they find themselves in. And later this would consolidate uh, with other such um, forces that got formed to the Home Army, which was kind of trying to defend Poland from uh, under, the, under the Germans' noses and stuff. So... So yeah, this is this is the environment uh, Poletsky finds himself in when around this time the Auschwitz gets mm-hmm. constructed and they start to hear rumors about maybe there's things going on here that's not so typical in a, a prisoner of war camp. So that's how Auschwitz started, just as this is a place where we put our prisoners of war and then rumors started to spread yeah, that something was up. Convenient place and they, you know, mm-hmm. for that sort of thing that concentrates some slave labor to help the war effort and all this. But then there's starting to be rumors that maybe there's, there's not, it's not quite a typical mm-hmm. camp in this way. Well, was slavery like typical in prisoners of war camps? Is, is that like, cause that would seem also maybe a little questionable. I'm not actually, you know, to be honest, I'm not actually sure if on the allies side that was, if it was, it's probably not something they're teaching in no. history in the, and you know, in our history anyway. I'm going to add that to the uh, but definitely, for the next episode. We'll tell you about yeah, slavery in POW camps. Yeah, I do know like an American, there was an American camp in Utah, I think, that after the war ended, I think mm-hmm. it was Utah, uh, there was some soldier, American soldier, just opened fire on all the Germans that were, that wow. were kept there. Just, yeah. He ended up killing, I think, like 29 of the couple hundred that were there. Uh, in, and this was after the war ended. Um, it was just directly after, a couple of days after. But So stuff like that happened. But um, I guess as word spreads, I mean, of what was going on in Germany, people, you know, held a, quite a lot of resentment over... Yeah, and, and, and you know, the anti, the, the propaganda yeah. and stuff. So it was just like, he's going to kill the Germans before they get a chance to go home. So yeah, this was this was kind of... I do know in the German ones, there were definitely slave labor going on to, to help mm-hmm. their war effort. But in order to figure out what was going on, separate the the fact from fiction with the rumors that were coming out of the camp from, you know, railroad employees and local residents yeah. around and, and some escape, some escapees and stuff. Uh, Poletsky says he's going to he comes up with a plan to become a prisoner at Auschwitz. I mean, he didn't at this point know exactly what he was getting into. So it wasn't like the Auschwitz that we think of, like, you know, but it, it was still he was hearing yeah. the rumors. And if that was happening, this this is either way, it's a dangerous situation for him. So he finally convinces his superiors to let him go. And so uh, he did have a wife and children. And so in order to protect them, uh, once he was captured, he took on an alias of a Thomas Serafinsky. And uh, but, but unfortunately, so the reason he took this alias is because he thought Thomas Serafinsky was dead. Okay, so he was a real dude. Yeah, this was a real person, real papers, and he thought he was dead. Turns out not dead, and this became a problem for 
Thomas Serafinsky later. Yeah, don't don't spoil, don't spoil. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say, I'll just say as a result, in December of 1943, uh, Serafinsky gets arrested and spends several weeks being brutally interrogated by the Germans. To uh, to and before they finally realize he is not the person they thought he was, and he he gets released. So according to at the, so how do he first Polinsky's got to get captured, and it's important to note here that when he gets captured, he doesn't actually know he's going to go to Auschwitz. Right. So he's going to try to get himself captured. Right. I mean, Auschwitz, there were many concentration camps and many different places prisoners yeah. were sent. Or he could have just been shot on site. It was the Nazis. Exa- this was <laughs> any of these options were happening all the time. They were getting, you know, sometimes they just would shoot him. But so he's he's banking on the fact that he's close to Auschwitz. So he'll maybe that's where they'll send him if they don't kill him outright, you know, which was right. always a possibility. And so there's a uh, he was he was up in this building where um, when a Lapanka mm-hmm. began is that how you pronounce it? Uh, yes, I would say so. I'm largely guessing because I don't know Polish pronunciation, but I know Czech pronunciation, and it's usually quite similar. All right. So yeah, yeah. So this this for anyone not familiar is where the the Germans would just round up civilians and they would kind of block off an area of of a, of a city or whatever, take a block, and they would just start rounding up civilians who looked like they were you know strong fit or whatever and they would they would take them off to slave labor camps or, or sometimes they would just do mass executions right on the spot so Pilecki, he didn't know if this was you know which one which way this was going to go but he was an able-bodied male you know 38 years yeah. old or so and so he's he's probably going to get taken once it happens so he sees his opportunity so uh he ends up he's in the building and there's a Ele- eleonora ostrova ostrovska when they're rounding these people up, is this Nazis targeting like Jews or gypsies in Poland? Or is this just, hey, we're just going to take this block of civilians in a city and send them off to slave labor? I, I, it can pretty much be either. I'm wow. pretty sure. I think in these specific cases, they were really just looking for able-bodied people to help with the war effort. You know, they needed they needed to make, you know, bullets and they needed to make all sorts of supplies. And they, you know, the, the labor force at home wasn't sufficient and the slave labor is way cheaper. And so uh, they were just, you know, they have this huge populace at their at their disposal. Um, so this was a thing they would do. So instead of hiding, uh, she says, Vitold rejected these opportunities and didn't even try to hide in my flat. Yeah, so, and then uh, soon after, a German soldier came knocking on her door when he was in there, and he just whispered to her, report that I have fulfilled the order. Then he opened the door, stepped out, and was, you know, happily taken by the soldier to whatever fate would, you know, whatever camp, whatever they execute him, whatever. This guy, he's already been in two wars for Poland. And he's like, I'm going to get yeah. right in with one of these uh, Lepankas where they just round people up and either kill them or send them off to slave labor. This is crazy. Yeah. This dude's a hero. Yeah, it, totally. And it gets better. As you also sort of uh, later, as we'll talk about sort of his personality at the end of and his thought process on this, this was this. He was also a guy with a great moral yeah, center. Yeah, I, I know. It's like well. I know the end of this story because I've read the notes, but I'm like, this guy's already yeah. a hero. Yeah, he, he's pretty amazing. And at the same roundup, <laughs> there was actually about 2000 other polls that, that also got yeah. rounded up on this day. It was uh, September 19th, 1940, for reference here. So he's willingly surrendering and just hoping he'll be sent to Auschwitz, which is probably the only person, <laughs> ever thought, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, on yeah. the prison, on the prison, <laughs> on the prisoner side anyway, that's like, yes, I'm getting sent to Auschwitz. So just on that date, September the 19th, 1940. So this is like Auschwitz early days. Auschwitz hadn't been around for a while. So yeah. already rumors were starting yeah. to circulate. And I know that Auschwitz got a whole lot worse as time went on. So he really didn't know what he was getting into. 
Yeah, not exactly. And uh, so, yeah, he actually lamented later. Later, he would he would write he would write a letter and say uh, the beha- and during the roundup, he's looking at this and he's just seeing all his fellow poles, about two thousand of them, bidding roundup, and with the relatively smaller number of soldiers doing the rounding up. And he's he's he later would write uh, lamenting of the behavior of his fellow countrymen during the roundup. What really annoyed me the most was the passivity of this group of Poles. All those picked up were already showing signs of crowd psychology, the result being that a whole crowd behaved like a herd of passive sheep. A simple thought kept nagging me. Stir up everyone and get this mass of people moving. Hmm. Yeah. But as, uh, as, you know, as his mission was to get in Auschwitz, he, he did none of that and ended up actually being sent to Auschwitz, which was what he had hoped for. So, um... He later describes his experience upon arrival. We gave everything away into bags to which respective numbers were tied. Here our hair of head and body were cut off and we were slightly sprinkled by cold water. I got a blow in my jaw with a heavy rod. I spat out my two teeth. Bleeding began. From that moment we became mere numbers. I wore the number 4859. We were struck over the head not only by SS rifle butts but by something far greater. Our concepts of law and order and of what was normal, all those ideas to which we had been accustomed on earth, were given a brutal kicking. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, when he first gets in there, besides the, the treatment uh, that was a little more brutal than you might normally anticipate uh, getting captured like that. Yeah. Uh, so he also notes that he was noticing it's not normal because, for one thing, the lack of, I mean... Prison camps aren't exactly known for their great food, even even in the more civilized prison camps. Yeah. But this one, it was the the extreme lack of food given to the prisoners, which in his estimations where he figured he actually calculated it was probably in such a way that people would live for maybe around six weeks, give or take, depending on, you know, given the labor they were asked to do in these sorts of things. And the, and just, you know, it probably depends on your body fat level and all that. But this was his estimation in about a month and a half or so would sort of survive before you start starving. And uh, he actually said a guard in the camp told him about this. Whoever will live longer, it means he steals. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> basically calculated to for them to do as much slave labor as possible and then feed them as little as possible. They die more slave labor is brought in. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, obviously mass executions are happening at the same time. And so, yeah. So by this point, it had turned into a death camp already. Like people were... It would soon... Uh, Poletsky was also was the first one to start really reporting on the actual numbers and like the actual uh, deaths that were happening, which we'll, we'll get into. Yeah. And so, yeah, but his, his mission here wasn't just to report what was going on, but he also was... Um, he ended up taking the responsibility, as as he would, of just starting a resistance cell within the camp. Yeah. Uh, which was, yeah, what do you think? Zviazek Organizatsii Voistove, or Z-O-W. That sounds really great. Also, also they they normally have these little uh, accents and hyphens over the letters, uh-huh. which give oh, you clues yeah, as yeah. to pronunciation. I did look them up. Yeah. They are different in Polish, so I didn't know what to do with them. <laughs> All right then. So Zhao, which we'll we'll henceforth call them, Zao, he, he yeah. sort of his, his goal for the for this organization, this little cell in there, was to improve inmate morale. He also wanted to distribute any extra food and clothing, make sure everyone was sort of equally um, getting any extra they could come up with. Uh, setting up an intelligent network, obviously within the camp, to to do one of his primary missions, which was to get word out about what exactly was happening within the camp. 
then he wanted to train the prisoners for an eventual rise up against the guards and to liberate Auschwitz from within. This was one of his goals. And uh, yeah, just... Um, Oh, and they also just cause as much problems for the for the Germans as, as possible. <laughs> and so, like, I, I like one of one of the things they did at one point. Uh, so, like, typhus was a problem when you. I mean, World War One, World War Two, typhus was a major major problem. What's typhus? Uh, so it's just a, a, a disease, I, I believe, a bacterial that um, yeah, it ends up killing like ten to sixty percent of people not Whoa. treated, Whoa. And, and it tends to. Yeah, uh, if you're not treated. And uh, yeah, World War One, it was absolutely devastating in the trenches and stuff because it, it kind of uh, contagious and manifests when you have a lot of people in a small group and, you know, poor hygiene and all this. Um, and it was actually the the thing that killed Anne Frank and her sister Margot as well. Really? Um, were victims. Yeah, so in, in World War One, uh, four million Polish people were actually infected with it and um, a lot of, quite a, hundreds of thousands of deaths and all Good that. Lord. And but yeah, it was also a problem in World War Two, and as you might imagine, in the, in Auschwitz, because a lot of people in a small area, and so they ended up though at a certain point being able to cultivate some of this typhus because uh, that they had access to, and they started uh, systematically trying to infect the German officers and the SS. I guess at this point they were like, ah, uh, you know. Geneva Convention apparently doesn't apply here. So yeah. my history is yeah. right in thinking World War One was the one they did with all the gas and stuff and the and the yeah. chemical weapons, and then that was all yeah. outlawed by World War Two. So yeah, but I think if you're in Auschwitz and they're gassing people, you're like mm, these guys yeah. kind of forgot the rules. So uh, let's uh, let's yeah. do some biological warfare on these guys. Yeah. That's so amazing. and uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Polesky also, he ended up creating cells within the organization to make sure it's sort of like divided up and make sure not not any one person other than himself knew everyone who was in all the different organizations. So if anyone was captured, no one could, no one for himself could then, uh, could then, you know, reveal the, all the other cell groups and everything. And so each leader kind of had their own people underneath that they could reveal, but at least the whole organization wouldn't be brought down uh, if, if one was captured and interrogated and ended up breaking. Cellular organizational structure like this is a whole fascinating topic in itself, which which maybe we should do a video or an episode on because it's like it's mm -hmm. so smart just how you can yeah. have a big organization where no one really knows what's going on and yet it all still functions effectively it's yeah. quite incredible yeah so uh, you might at this point be wondering uh, how did how are they actually getting reports out and it turns out people were being released from the prison uh, uh, from time to time which is you know i don't know cause it kind of seems weird yeah. this happened less and this happened less and less over time uh, so this became a problem. So then they started relying on the uh, prisoner escapes, which was was still a thing. If you were if you were a prisoner and you tried to escape and you were caught, you were killed. This was just the risk of trying, and it was a hard thing to escape because uh, anyone who helped you around the area, if anyone helped you during the escape process, they would also be executed. Yeah. So um, this was, and you're very well recognizable. At, at least as the as the war progressed, you would be well recognizable depending on how long you'd been in the camp because you're going to be really gaunt and you know tattered clothing and all this and so not a lot of energy either to run and lots of heavy patrols around the Fam famously striped pajamas right yeah I'm, yeah uh so yeah the um it wasn't easy to escape but it did happen sometimes and people would would then try to take this information out and this is how he got information out uh for a while uh, so just to confirm he had no ex like there was no plan for him to exit the like I feel like if you're a spy in every spy movie, they're like, uh, and you've got to use the spy word extraction. You know, there's always an extraction plan. It's like, all right, James, yeah. you've got to go in, you've got to blow up the Russian supercomputer, and then we're going yeah. to extract you from the side of the mountain. And he's like, yeah. very well. Um, but like, 
This no. guy is just going in, no real plan of exit, just kind of like, let's no, see what's up. He did not have a plan of exit that we, uh, that I think he. I'd prefer it if you called about. it an extraction plan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> good, good call. Yeah. Um, yeah, he did not have it. They did not have an extraction plan planned for him. He was just to go in and then kind of wait out the war, you know, in there yeah. or, or escape if he could at some point. But, you know. Like uh, we say, bulls of steel. Yeah, he was, he was, you know, heading up the resistance within the prison. So, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't about to escape at this point. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. They, so, um, as we call it. Yeah. Yeah. And he did it. They did at one point, actually. Uh, this is always fascinating to me. They ended up getting the parts they needed to cobble together a radio, including a, a you know, a transceiver to be able to send out messages. And so they, for a while, they, right. this is how they were, they got really good reports out this way um, until 1942 when he stated, uh, he would later write, uh, one of our fellows, Big Mouth, uh, ended up resulting in the Nazis learning of the radio. And so um, what they ended up having to do then was quickly dismantle it and get rid of all the parts because if they were caught with any of it, they would be executed. Um, so, yeah. I feel like this is one of those things. Tries to escape, get executed, build a radio, yeah. get executed, get found with any yeah. part of the radio. Guess what? Yeah. executed <laughs> and sometimes just get executed because that's what happened yeah, yeah. Uh, there nazi god has a bad day executed <laughs> yeah pretty much uh, so the the so he so as the reports he starts coming out so what does he start talking about and he he's the first to mention the use of zyklon b mm -hmm. which the uh, there was a key ingredient in that the hydrogen cyanide gas which was used in the gas chambers and he was also the first to report of the gas chamber usage uh, so he first uh, he first reported this in September of 1941 when the Nazis uh, killed 850 Soviet POWs and Poles in block 11 of Auschwitz 1 um, so yeah, and then he also learned there were also gas chambers in Auschwitz too, which was being constructed around this time. And so reporting on this, uh, he ended up, uh, keeping pretty good tabs in him and his, his cell, his, or his resistance groups Zhao, or keeping good tabs on the number of people coming mm -hmm. in, the number of people, you know, estimated being killed and, uh, all this. Uh, so, and he notes actually at one point in his, one of his official reports, over a thousand a day from the new transports were gassed. Their corpses were burnt in the new crematoria. Yeah. Yeah. And so this, so this, these reports were then ultimately getting forwarded on to the Polish government in exile in London, which was where they were after, after the Germans and the Soviets came in. They obviously fled and yeah. set up kind of an odd ad hoc, the government in London. Uh, so yeah, and they, they in turn forwarded it to all the Allied. To, this is what this is what's happening in Auschwitz. But the in the the reports of the, all the mass killing, starvation, you know, systematic uh, systemic torture, all this gas chambers, all that stuff, medical experimentation, it wasn't really believed. They were like, no way, wow. this is not, this is not, this can't be accurate. That's nuts. It was it was just too. They thought it was like propaganda, or the people I, I, were. They just thought it was exaggerated. Chinese I don't. Maybe they thought polite. Maybe they thought he just wanted to get out, so come liberate Auschwitz, because this is what he was pushing for, is they needed to do like a, a big push to to liberate the, at least if, but they probably couldn't take it over, obviously, and then hold it, but at least liberate it so that the people could get out that are that are there. And, you know, so like a temporary campaign, he, he, came, he came up with a plan for this to, if they could just airdrop some weapons, he had his, his, his you know, his group, his Zhao, in order to, you know, would collect and they'd plan it all out and they would cause a lot of havoc inside. And then if, if the resistance outside and the Polish army could, could attack at the same time, making a lot of distraction, they could probably get a lot of the people out. Um, and, you know, obviously a lot of people would probably be killed too, but at least, you know, a lot of people were already being killed. So this was sort of his plan. Uh, this plan fell completely on deaf ears. They were, they, they were like, no, we can't risk the resources. And, uh, you know, it just nothing, nothing ever came of it.
Yeah, that's uh, it's the it's tough part of history that with this going on, and it's just it's it, the the information coming out just being so shocking that they think yeah. it can't possibly be true. Yeah, and so at this this sort of things come to a head for for Pilecki himself in 1943 when the the Zhao resistance members started to get uh, they were pretty uh, the SS were systematically just trying to eliminate them they were tracking him down interrogating him trying to find as many of the cell members and at this point he had not been yet implicated so he was still in the clear but it was only a matter of time obviously before before his name would come up in some torture or mm-hmm. whatever. So he and he's at the same time thinking, all right, no one's listening to me. I need to go tell them in person. So he then is going to risk his own execution here because, you know, he's probably going to die anyway if he stays much longer to to try to escape. So he ends up he ends up looking for his opportunity to try to escape. And uh, he gets it when he gets assigned with two others to a night shift at a bakery, which is outside of the camp's perimeter fence. That seems risky. Like. If with all with all of this stuff going on, I'd be very, very worried about leaking information, although apparently I didn't really need to be because no one would believe it, about like letting people who had seen the inside of the camp ever leave its walls. I'd be very, yeah. very cautious about such things. But at the same time, you know, they needed people to make bread for their soldiers <laughs> and this. And you, you, put them, you put them under guard and it's heavily patrolled, you know, and it's only a couple prisoners who are also weak and, you know, uh, half starved. So they, they, they put him out there. Look, and so if, he, you he, can, but, if you can build Dr. Joseph Mengler a laboratory of horrors, you can't build yeah. a bakery? Come on, guys. They had the Auschwitz was, I mean, if not for the absolute horror of those, the, the reality of it. It's an incredibly organized place. It was an incredibly organized. They had all, they had, didn't they have like a theater and a library and the, all this stuff for their, their soldiers, obviously? Yeah. And it, and it is huge. And you've got, you mentioned there the Auschwitz too, the Auschwitz Birkenau. It's, it's, it's a vast, I, I went there a few years ago. It's, it's a vast and horribly depressing place. Yeah. Either way, they, they do, they, he gets assigned to this with a couple others. So he then passes off, he gives the information needed to some of the others out top you know, deputies so that they can continue running the organization. And then he's going to attempt his escape. And so at the, uh, at the night of the 26th of April, 1943, he's, mm-hmm. he has his chance. And so him and the other two, they managed to overpower a guard while they're, while they're cooking bread and stuff. And uh, then they cut the phone line so that the other guards around will not be able to call back for, for reinforcements or to you know, alert all the patrols that, that there's been an escape attempt. So then they, then they just, I'm going to refer to that as his spy craft. <laughs> yeah. So then, then they do the much less spy cool thing of they just run for it. They just completely sprint as fast as they can. And he actually describes this this flight. Yeah, uh, that's well, I think this is quite spy-like because he says, shots were fired behind us. How fast we were running, it is hard to describe. We were tearing the air into rags by quick movements of our hands. So I, in this moment, I kind of imagine him doing a Tom Cruise run because he's like slicing <laughs> yeah. the air. Or tearing the air yeah. into rags, which kind of makes me imagine that he's he's running, you know, not yeah. with his fists, but with his hands in like a karate chop thing, like Tom Cruise does in yeah. every movie. Like, whoo, 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 whoo. so he's like slicing the air. So that that you know, Tom Cruise has played a spy at least fifteen hundred times. So that's what yeah. I imagine. Yeah. And this guy's you know so cool that in every in every picture in my mind, he is a spy, like the ultimate James Bond spy. Yeah, and actually, if you see his uh, his picture and stuff, he, this guy was in this guy was in great shape. So I don't know nice. how, what the picture of when he's like first escaping Auschwitz he looked like, but in other pictures, he's he's the soldier, soldier. You know, lean, got some muscle. You know, he, he looks like he's in he's a Tom Cruise type. You know, he can he can move. I like it. 
I don't. I, I suppose that there's not any video of him running, is there? This is kind of no, no, <laughs> no. Awesome. Yeah, so it's not even. Uh, he he ends up. It's not even clear like how exactly, but he ends up. He ends up escaping, and the other two they they make it to, uh, despite all the all the patrols and everything, and, mm-hmm. and presumably an alarm was raised at some point. Uh, I'm guessing someone and probably, no one would help them because they'd be shot. Yeah, well, I, I would imagine. I mean, someone had to help him, Mike. Maybe they maybe they even knew of some some support. Yeah. You know, some underground around that they could go to. Uh, but either way, they get out, and he, of course, then goes to the headquarters of the home army, and he's trying to trying to be like, "Hey, this is what's happening in there." It's like, dudes, I wasn't exaggerating. It's crazy. Yeah, you, you, we need to, we need to, or we need to liberate it, like as best we can. It's, I mean, they're not going to be able to hold it, of course. Uh, but if they could just liberate, you know, just take out some of the guards, cause a lot of confusion, and just so people could escape. And uh, he ends up, to quote him, leaving that meeting bitter and disappointed at his his superior's cowardliness. Um, was in his opinion uh, so yeah this was it was discarded basically the idea was just it was too risky they didn't want to you know invest the resources and in in the freeing of where these you know these people were being executed uh, systematically so yeah so guys why are we at war <laughs> like, yeah in the end uh, he continued fighting for the home army at this point uh, and also where, where he could from the outside tried to aid Zhao uh, any way he could um, whether advocating for, you know, liberating the, the place or getting supplies in or whatever. Uh, and then he ends up, he takes part in the Warsaw Uprising in August of 1944, at which point he was captured by German troops. If you tell me he's sent to Auschwitz. No, but he did end up spending the rest of the war as a POW. And I take it by this point he was back to using his own name, so they weren't like, you were the dude who escaped yeah. from Auschwitz. Yeah, yeah, okay, exactly. Good. Good. Uh, yeah, because he would have just been executed. And this was the problem for the aforementioned guy, because they were looking right. for him, and yeah. they were looking for the wrong guy. Uh, and so he ends up he ends up writing later after, after the war. He spent some time in Italy in the 2nd Polish Corps. Uh, before being ordered back to Poland by General Vladislaw Anders, mm-hmm. because uh, basically, uh, you know, he was good at intelligence gathering. So they said they sent him back to Poland and uh, to gather information on the communist activities in Poland at the time, because they kind of Poland, you know, exchanged one occupier for another in the, the Soviet Union, uh, the Soviet backed Polish Committee of National Liberation. Uh, which had kind of replaced the 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 actual you know government in London there. Okay. Yeah. So the Polish government in exile was was uh, you know this got it. This this really sucks for the Polish. It's like your actual it, government's absolutely. in exile in London. So you have a fake, it basically rigged Soviet government in power mm-hmm. who are fighting against another invader who want to take your already stolen country. That sucks. Yeah, exactly. And this this was actually one of the first things he he gathered intelligence, uh, documented proof that the voting results of the People's Referendum of 1946 was heavily falsified by the communists. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. He, but he sends this information back to the Polish government in exile, but there's nothing they can do about it, you know? They're like, yeah, yeah, we know. We know. Yeah. It's like we have... All of these countries <laughs> where the, the, the Soviets come in and they have these elections, it's like, really... The, the people yeah. were like, yeah, sure, we, we like you guys more than our actual own government who we elected previously in a democratic process. Come on. Yeah, it's like 107% of the population yeah. voted for. <laughs> but yeah, so the, uh, the, his cover actually ended up getting blown in 1946 in July. But rather than flee, uh, being, you know, who he was, he decided to stay and continue to work anyway to, to get documented evidence of all the atrocities that were being committed against the Polish people. Um, and sending sending it back. Uh, so this, as you might imagine, he didn't. I mean, he lasted. He ended up lasting almost a year in this way, uh, but was arrested in May seventh of nineteen forty seven by the Ministry of Public Security. And um, I imagine 
probably his sort of like uh, his record, his war mm-hmm. record, it probably was helping him, you know, stay untouched for a while. But eventually they, they captured him. They ended up extensively torturing him for many months, including ripping his fingernails uh, off, breaking his ribs, breaking his nose. Yeah, all sorts of stuff uh, all this time. And uh, he, he was able to write home to his family and stuff. So that's something, I guess. Uh, and he, he ended up noting of his life in this particular prison, at least for his own experience here. Uh, Auschwitz compared with them was just a trifle. Wow. Yeah, so he was... This that, guy! Oh, fingernails! Yeah. That one gets me bad. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah, His granted, they were focusing on him in, in, in Auschwitz. He wasn't like the focus of, of torture. And yeah, like this that, was like, like that, an so. extract information torture, which is uh, a little yeah. more motivated it's, rather than the just like slow starvation to death and then we'll gas yeah. you. Yeah, and I imagine trying to get him to go to admit to crimes and this sort of thing. Right, this uh, guy so doesn't seem like a talker. Him. Yeah, and so he ends up, they do end up giving him a, a trial, but of course it's just a show trial, <laughs> just a, an example. Yeah, and so this, when he was going to be tried, the, there was a lot of fellow survivors of Auschwitz around who were like, hey, Prime Minister of Poland, Joseph... Sirankiewicz, Sirankiewicz. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, sure. So they they were because the thing is, is this prime minister of Poland? He was a survivor of Auschwitz, and he was a m- member of the resistance in the prison. So like, surely he's going to be like, all right, Polecki, you're you're good. Well, we'll make this work. Uh, Wait, and but no, this is, he ac- this is the Soviet dude, like the the yeah, this is the the, the puppet, puppet government, government prime minister. Yeah, yeah. So, and of course, I'm sure his hands were tied on this. Uh, whether what whatever his oh, actual yeah. thoughts on it were, uh, his he actually wrote to the judge and went the other way, telling him to throw out record of Polecki's time as a prisoner of Auschwitz. Uh, so they yeah, they I didn't want this. I, I gotta believe it's not this dude, like the fellow survivor yeah. of yeah. of Auschwitz, uh, unless like yeah, we're probably, missing a slice here. This sounds like uh, more like the Soviets pulling the strings. Yeah, he probably didn't have a choice in this mm-hmm. one, but either way, whatever his own thoughts, uh, this was critical because one of the things Poletsky was being accused of was being a, a German collaborator during the war, which had to... Can you oh. imagine being Poletsky at this time? And just like, are you kidding me? Like, I feel like wow. there's been several are you kidding me's throughout this entire episode and throughout his entire <laughs> life, like yeah, uh, numerous times. And this one's just that icing on the cake, right? Because, well things uh, are drawing yeah. to a close fairly shortly. Yeah, so naturally they did not want his his war record in this particular mm-hmm. case uh, known because this would, you know, obviously kind of debunk what they were accusing him of. Uh, so in the end, he was convicted of being a German collaborator and a spy for the West, among a lot of other charges, and sentenced to death via gunshot to his head, which was carried out on May 25th, 1948, by Sergeant uh, Piotr Smitansky. They also known as the Butcher of Makatau Prison. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So not a happy ending for Poletsky, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah. And, and and after this, of course, the uh, his name and his, uh, his many heroic acts uh, during his time as a, as a soldier were um, completely censored in Poland. You weren't allowed to, to mention them anywhere until 1989 when the communist Polish government was overthrown. And then his deeds were once again uh, brought to light. And yeah, so. <laughs> yes. Yeah, his... His last, his last words, uh, do you want to read the reportedly last words of his? Long live free Poland. Yeah. So, so but... Uh, real life doesn't have yeah. nice endings, does it? Not this one. And this, this guy, I, this, you just really wish it would for this guy, because he, you might at this point, like, why? He's got a wife. He's got kids. What is he doing? You know, like, especially when he, his cover gets blown. What, why isn't he fleeing? Because he's a hero. Yeah, so this, despite the fact, uh, so if we want to go to uh, a quote by Merrick Prabos, who's an actor who who was um, 
played Poletsky and uh, studied him quite well um, for the part, for the death of Captain Poletsky. He stated of, of kind of the attitude of Poletsky. Human beings were the most precious thing for Poletsky, and especially those who were oppressed. He would do anything to liberate them, to help them. So it's just, it's kind of just the way he's wired, like, you know, he's got this wife and kid and he's already served in two wars and then he's thrown into Auschwitz and then he becomes a spy for the Polish, you know, spying against the Soviets and then he gets horribly tortured and killed. I mean, he'd probably do it over again. Yeah. And I think I think even better than the than the actor, of course, who didn't know him, uh, the uh, quotes, I think the, his son, Poletsky's son, uh, Andre, And, uh, uh, would yeah. later would later say of his father. His father would write that we should live worthwhile lives to respect others and nature. He wrote to my sister to watch out for every little ladybug to not step on it, but place it instead on a leaf because everything has been created for a reason. Love nature. He instructed us like this in his letters. And 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 even even more significantly was actually uh, what what uh, later about two years after uh, Pletsky was executed. Obviously, his family was struggling at this point. They they you know being his family uh, in in the, in the region, it wasn't a good time for them. So they were struggling, you know, just to make you know survive. And so then a man actually approached the Pletsky's teenage son and stated, "I was in prison as a guard with your father. I want to help you because your father was a saint. Under his influence, I changed my life." I do not harm anyone anymore. I don't really know what to add to that. It's just kind of, it's, it's a strange depressing. mix of, well, yeah, depressing, but also like the fortitude of one man against not just the Nazis and the Soviets, but also his own government and the allies who were like, we don't believe you, even after all this work he's done. And then when he's on trial and the prime minister who was in prison with him is like, I don't, you know, throw out the record of you helping all these people in prison. It's like everyone was against him, the bad guys and the good guys. And throughout his whole life, he just kept on, kept on pushing through. Any book recommendations? I'd like to read more about this guy. Where did, where was the primary research for this? Oh, not primary research. Yeah, there was whatever it's uh, many and there were books. Oh, so, okay, so the final version of his report on Auschwitz can be found in a book titled The Auschwitz Volunteer Beyond Bravery, hmm. um, among other things talking about him. That's a, that's a good place to start. And uh, there was more. I can't remember now. We can, uh, we can show note some of these. Yeah, But, we'll Google uh, that and, uh, and come up with a look in the references that we have here. I don't have the references listed here uh, at the moment, um, but I do have them. So yeah. I shall look in them and then put some of those in the show notes because this guy was amazing and uh, everyone should go read about him. Yeah, love it. I guess that draws to a close this this story. I was. <laughs> are we gonna uh, we leave the bonus fact for the next episode? Yeah, I think that's a good idea because it's quite lengthy, and this was already quite lengthy, so I think that works. You know, in a way, uh, that bonus fact is kind of. I mean, it's it's tangentially related to this episode, mm -hmm. but in a way, it's kind of its own episode in itself. It's a different story. Yeah, it's kind of it's a little bit different than our normal bonus facts because I had trouble. I I mean, there were bonus facts I could, but they were all depressing. Well, and uh, they were interesting stuff about Bear and all the Zyklon B and, you know, Bear the... You pronounce it differently, yes? Not Bear. But you pronounce it the correct way. Bear. The drug company. Oh, is it? Is it I thought it was Bayer. Bayer. Or Bayer. 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 I think, I, think, I think Europeans pronounce it the, I believe, which is the actual correct it way. It is a Bayer, German company, right? Yeah. How do you yeah. spell it? I'll look it up right now and we can... B-A-Y-E-R. So they're kind of famous for making aspirin and, and people might wonder how they lost their trademark on aspirin. And this is because 
of stuff pertaining to the war, the, the Great Wars and um, their involvement. And so I had stuff like that, but it was all depressing. So I threw it all out in favor of kind of more of a standalone comment, uh, 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 story of, of a bear in the Polish army, which is really interesting and which will be the subject of most of the subject. We'll have a little bit uh, other um, as well, but of next week's episode. I looked it up. It is Bayer. So not Bayer. Bayer. Yeah. I, I was confused yeah. because next week we're talking about bears. So uh, oh, I yeah. was like, <laughs> the pronunciation of bear is uh, somewhere. What? Like, <laughs> I know, but Bayer. And it's the guy on the uh, the Forvo where I get a lot of my pronunciations from. He's saying in a very German way, like Bayer. Bayer. Yeah, yeah. So I think Bayer would be the... Uh, yeah, Americans usually, even in the even in the commercials, they actually pronounce it... Um, really? Even the company themselves pronounce it differently because they know Americans pronounce it differently, so they, you know, don't want to confuse. Side note, um, commercials for prescription medicines and just medicine, or, like, completely un, uh, unusual thing. Uh, yeah. Like, when I was in the States, you, like, turn on the TV and it's like, ask your doctor about Bayer's latest magic thing for underdeveloped eyes or whatever. <laughs> I don't know, that was a terrible example. Yeah. Uh, it's like, really? You just ask your doctor? Isn't the doctor the one who's supposed to be like, I think you need this rather than you be like, doctor, I think you think that I need this. And I suspect like probably the most single most annoying thing doctors probably have to deal with is people coming in and being like, so I heard. Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah. I I'm heard doctor, about this you... wonderful drug from Bear who are yeah. doing this. Or I Googled it and WebMD told me that I have yeah. cancer and it's like, you have a cold, go home. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, of a fun fact we can throw in that is sort of tangentially related there mm. is uh, Bayer or Bayer. Uh, they invented, uh, well, at least uh, commercialized uh, heroin. Heroin. I, I, so, we did a and, video about this. Yeah, and I came like up with a name recently. and they called it because it made them, it made their researchers feel heroic was their, their reasoning behind the name. And they pretty much, they ditched aspirin at the time they had aspirin. So they temporarily ditched aspirin to push heroin wow. because as a, as a non-addictive um, cure for pretty much everything, but mainly coughs and colds and things, I know, uh, which, which it is non-addictive. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, when they orally ingested, it's not as nearly as addictive as sort of the way people usually do it. Uh, and so, and so it does take, it's not quite as immediate like that, a little, little lessened, but in the end of the day, it's super addictive yes. and they quickly realized this, but it was already very popular. And then eventually when it, you know, all became out that this is actually worth, they were also using it to treat morphine addiction, uh, even though it's more, more addiction. Uh, did, so they, so they, did you, did you just try to find a bonus fact that it's slightly more lighthearted <laughs> and we ended up talking about how, uh, about the, the heroin epidemic? It's not, it's not hard to get more lighthearted than Auschwitz. Yes, that's fair. true. That's true. I'm actually having a laugh about heroin addiction because the, the, the subject matter of today's video was quite so depressing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then the hero of the story also getting executed in the end was, was kind of a down, mm -hmm. a Debbie Downer there at the end. Could be described as such. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, so eventually they, they backtrack on the whole heroin thing and instead go with um, aspirin to push, which uh, they can't, in this case, they couldn't actually win for winning because when they start pushing aspirin, so then you have the flu, the Spanish flu epidemic that killed, you know, like everyone. Yeah. And uh, was it like the world percent of the world's population or something? It was insane. It, yeah, that died. I, it was something insane. And then something ridiculous, like an, a huge percentage. I don't even remember. I won't try to guess, but uh, we're infected by it. And uh, yeah. This, this at the same time, so they push aspirin, but it turns out the pushing of aspirin in these cases probably actually contributed to some deaths because it's not, you know, with the flu, it wasn't, uh, 
There was, there was, uh, I don't even remember now the medical reason why, but there was a reason why aspirin was not a good choice in this case, but they were pushing it. So in this case, they actually had a sort of a good drug that was good for many things that ended up probably also not being the best for the specific thing they were pushing for at the time. Even used today, low-dose aspirin uh, on a regular basis for stroke uh, risk, I want to say. Yeah, I believe it's uh, anticoagulant, right? Or yeah, like yeah, because we discussed it on a previous episode about it. Uh, previous episode? I get so confused. Or was this a biographics video I did about Rasputin <laughs> and his kid? Who? Uh, no, that was Ras. It was probably Rasputin. Ah, it was in the, the day today in history. history. Today, in- yeah. I get so confused. Uh, but somehow yeah. these, dude. One day I got to go on. Do you have Who Wants to Be a Millionaire in the States? Yeah, dude. One yeah. day, I- <laughs> you'd definitely be my phone a friend. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> you should do that as a service. You should be the phone a friend person. You'd be like, I'll be your paid for phone a friend on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. <laughs> yeah. And where they have to uh, explicitly be like, of the brain food show, yeah. I'm calling, you know, just for a little free promo. Speaking of biographics, that's another channel I have. Check that out, listeners. Yeah. Why not? i got to get my plugs in. Um, I listen to a lot of yeah. podcasts, uh, even more now. Like I just go through the top 10, top 20 podcasts in the world because I'm like, got to learn from the best, aim high and all that. And there's a lot of plugging going on. So there you go. Becoming more professional yeah. as a podcaster every single day. Yeah. And this rambling at the end of this one, as we kind of go through some bonus facts, I think also qualifies us as professional broadcasters because there is a lot of rambling. I, I also have, I have a question. I have a question for, the, for, for all the listeners out there. So we are really bad at coming up with names and we, <laughs> we are wanting to launch a Today in History channel to separate it off because that seems to be the feedback and the way the algorithm is also, also pushing us towards. And so... We don't want to call it Today in History because it's a little too generic and um, it's probably already taken anyway. Uh, so we need a name. I need a name. And we, we're, we, don't, we have a couple options, but nothing, nothing we're too keen on. So podcast at todayifoundout.com or forums.todayifoundout.com. Let us know. Dude, uh, there was one name you came up with. I mean, I, to, be, to be fair, I came up with my fair share of stinkers. Oh, no. So what many. Was... I, just went with, I just went with so many bad. I just started like I had my my thesaurus going and was just writing out and yes i, I did come up with some horrifically bad ones what i don't even remember like immemorial or something immemorial immemorial and i was like this is the worst name that i could ever think of <laughs> or it was like brain food erudition immemorial i'm like great so you got two <laughs> words in there people can't spell <laughs> i may have i may have like forgotten a comma or something but yes <laughs> there was some there was some uh, there was some horrible ones in there so bad and i like yeah it's like the yeah there were some bad ones in there but uh yeah, so we got we got nothing basically is what we're saying. Get so, involved. Yeah. Hit us up on brain on on Twitter hashtag Brain Food Show with your suggestions. Yeah. If we pick one of them, we'll send you a T-shirt. Can we send them a T-shirt and, and like a prize too? Probably. I think that's worthy of also a prize of some sort. We'll send uh, you, you know. some Amazon gift voucher and a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. just giving these away. Have an Amazon gift voucher. Um, but yeah, that would be great because we're terrible at names. Yeah, clearly by the name of today, I found out we're terrible at names. <laughs> no comments. That was that was your invention many years before you met me. Uh, should we wrap things up here and uh, pick this up yeah. next week or whenever the next episode goes out where we talk about something a lot more cheery? Bears. Polish bear in the Polish army, no less, which is awesome. Tying it in. But I just said we'd finish. I saw a great uh, poster the other day, <laughs> which if we had come up with this, it would be an amazing T-shirt thing. It said, uh, it's like, you know, a, a fake warning sign. And it said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, except bears. Bears will definitely kill you. <laughs> I thought that this was no. very, very funny.
All right, that's it. That's Brain Food this week wrapped up, and we will see you in the next one. Not see you. We'll, uh, we'll, you'll, you'll hear us, I think. Yeah, great. Bye. Major Low Darkievitz. Can we just call him Darkie?